This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The world grows more chaotic, more scary every day. And it goes way beyond rising prices or political tension. We are now finding ourselves in a place where we, we could be actually surrounded by countries with leaders that are thinking about going to world war. It's hard not to feel helpless, but Jesus was very clear in his Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry. Don't worry. Well, these days, that's a pretty hard thing uh, to do. I, not, I can't, I'm not supposed to worry, but I am worried. Today's guest has cemented himself as a voice of calm in the terror all around us. He has been widely described as America's pastor. He's written 40 books, 145 million in print. His sermons and writings have saved lives. He is full of wisdom. He played a fundamental role in the He Gets Us campaign, which strives to share the love of Jesus with all, right or left. Unsurprisingly, the mainstream media was quick to label it corrupt, divisive, political, and any other number of snotty accusations. But the far left's unquenchable desire to hurl insults won't stop him. Today, on the Glenn Beck Podcast, welcome Max Lucado. Max couldn't be coming at a better day. I'll explain in a minute as we get into the podcast. But I've been talking to you about uh, Jace Medical and the Jace case for some time now. It's needed now more than ever because there are critical shortages of essential drugs and we haven't, we haven't even begun. You wouldn't think that this kind of thing would happen in America, and normally it wouldn't, but we don't make uh, the medicines that we need. We don't even have the raw ingredients anymore, and these are not normal times we live in. That's why I highly recommend you go to jacemedical.com, get a Jace case on hand. It's a personalized emergency medication kit. It contains five essential antibiotics, which treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. It's customizable with dozens of add-on medications available, so you can choose the ones that best fit your family's need. They even have ivermectin as an add-on option. Jace is simple. Go online, fill out the form, you get the prescription. Life-saving medications delivered right to your door. Go to jacemedical.com and use Beck at checkout. It's jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com, promo code Beck. Hi, Max. Hi. How are you? <laughs> We're going to make it. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I just think it's such divine providence that you're here today because I am, I, I have so many questions about being a good Christian. Hmm. Um, I, I'm really having a hard time. There's, you know, just about 10 years ago, I swore off the word evil. I'm not going to use evil anymore because I was, 
I was like, this is evil what they're doing. And I didn't want to make bad evil. Evil is something separate and apart. What we're seeing today is evil. And it looks, it looks very coordinated. It's, it's, you, if you can't see the, the power of evil, um, I think you're pretty blind. And I'm having a problem, let's just say, with, let's start with Israel and Palestinians. That's evil. What the Palestinians did was evil. And there's a difference between hating the Palestinians and going in for vengeance and doing what we did in World War II against the Germans. We didn't hate the Germans. We hated the Nazis. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we navigate this when we're living in a country that doesn't, half the country doesn't understand evil mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. has the opposite view of evil? Than we do. Yeah. I've wondered, by the way, it's good to be with you. I wish we had a happier season, but it's an important season. It It, is. It is. I look at it as an honor to be alive today, to be part of the chosen billions that he sent to earth at this time. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to need to find that inner giant. Mm -hmm. We are. Yeah. We are. I, I think you were right to pull the word evil off the shelf mm-hmm. in this case. There is no uh, redemptive answer to what they did. None, none at all. You can't, you can't manipulate this. You can't massage it. And I know we, we – you've seen probably a lot more than I. I've only seen probably a quarter yeah. of what's out there. It's not good. It's just, you know, the atrocities mm-hmm. uh, are, are, are just simply – uh, beyond barbaric, and uh, I wonder, Glenn, I'd like to test this with you. I wonder if, let's just say, decent people have a hard time comprehending the mind of an evil person. I think so. I, I think we are filtering all of this through a decent person's mindset. Mm-hmm. A decent person says, well, okay, you know, we're at extremes here. But you know what? We can live on the same block. We can get along. Let's meet. Let's talk. Let's arbitrate. You know, that's what decent people mm-hmm. do. And so the mindset when we see evil like this is say, well, just let's just call a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. You know, or let's let's get everybody around the table and we'll talk it out. Uh, that's not how you respond to barbarism. It really isn't. Uh, I, I believe that that Scripture uh, calls on the government to wield the sword in a case where there is absolutely declared purpose to annihilate a people. And when that's declared, when that's a part of the written Constitution, um, just the typical "let's sit down and talk this out." I, I just don't think it's gonna gonna get very far. So I feel that way though about so much right now where we have so polarized and i honestly don't feel it's all the palestinians i don't feel it's you know correct on any subject it's all the democrats or all the republicans um but we're at a point now to where i look at things now and say if you can't 
if you can't tell me the difference between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I have no place to go mm-hmm. with you right. because you're so off-centered on something mm-hmm. so easy. Mm-hmm. How are we ever going to get back yeah. together? Yeah. yeah. And I feel, I feel awful with that. I feel like, you know, because another thing I, I, I've always promised myself to do is never look at someone as if you know more than they do. Um, never have your opinion so grounded that you couldn't sit and talk to mm-hmm. somebody and say, how did you get there? You may disagree with them all the way along, but you'll learn something by sitting down with somebody you disagree with and just saying, honestly, I want to understand mm-hmm. how you got there. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm having a really hard time. <laughs> well, I mean, what we have here is a classic collision of two worldviews, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian ethics believes that there is a God, a good God, overseeing the affairs of mankind. That's where, that's where I start in my philosophy. I think that's where you start. We unpack it from there. But if you sit across the table from a person who says, well, if there is a God, he's disconnected. But more than likely, there is no God. So I become my own God. I'll do whatever the heck I want to. And if I want to say that I am you know, female one day and male the next. That's up to me because there is no truth. And so here one person sits on one side of the table, the other person sits on the other. And where do you find the common ground? It's, it's not easy. You, you do, do all you? you can to be just respectful of a person trying right. to have an opinion. But beyond that, the common ground has eroded. Whereas when I was growing up, I get tired of people saying when I was growing up and I just said it. <laughs> But when I was growing up, at least we had this common ground. Yeah. The vast majority of us believed that there is a God involved in the affairs of mankind. Okay, let's start there. Now, what you say he said and what I think he said might be different. We can work from that. But if we don't even have that in agreement, Glenn, it, it, it explains the, the, the angst that there is in the world today. It's just an angst, a sadness. It's as if we or having a funeral dirge for a world that we cherished and we're seeing it pass down the street and the hearse just drives by and that deep, deep sadness. And then I've not heard. I've, I have felt that way Mm. Um, a few times when I see big things, big shifts in the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I feel it's better to mourn. Um, so you can move on to, you know, past your anger and everything else. But it does feel like everything feels like, and again, I, is that just my perspective that I grew up with this and now it's passing and it's not just your perspective. How else do we explain the spike in anxiety and depression? I mean, one statistic after another, the most disturbing statistic I keep mentioning is you know, suicides are up 24% since World War II. I mean, it's just there's a sadness in the world already. And I think it's because the moorings that we held on to and that we aspire to hold on to, uh, we're seeing everybody abandon. And, and what do we do? How do we respond? It's all changing so fast. The speed at which 
uh, the world is changing. It's just, I mean, we can barely even understand what AI is, and then it's everywhere. It happens that fast. And uh, I, I think that sends us down these um, spirals of, of stress and anxiety. I'm going to get all the bad stuff out first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We're going to find some solutions. I know. We are. I know. Um, and this may, I kind of look at this as a solution. But if you didn't think World War II was the possibility of Christ returning, I don't know what was wrong with you. Uh, except maybe you read enough of the Bible to go, there's not enough, you know, to say it, it's this time. We've got Gog and Magog, Magog. for the very first time <laughs> uh, conspiring against evil, I mean, yeah. against Israel. Yeah. I mean, are, are, is, I mean, yeah. nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody but knows. But doesn't it, it, it looks. Brother Glenn, it, I mean, all the players are in place. Okay, so the big, thing, the big difference between right now and even World War II is the existence of, of the Israel. state of Israel. Right. I mean, that's the prophecy. Nobody, I, I'm sympathetic with some student of prophecy from 200 years ago who says, well, this is never going to happen. How in the world could the Jews ever repopulate the nation of Israel? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the greatest miracle. Mm-hmm. And so that, that miracle, that sign, it seems to me, Glenn, announced that we're in the final, the final days. Because so many things, Israel has to be a nation for many of the prophecies to be fulfilled, namely the reconstruction of the temple. And so there has to be a national Israel in order for many of these things to happen. Well, now it, it, it wasn't there 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, but it's there right now. And so I think the, the, the discussion of what we're seeing on the world stage is a discussion that we need to have both politically, but even more important, spiritually. Because something is happening here that has never happened in any generation in history. I don't know when Christ is returning. I don't. Mm-hmm. No one knows. Yeah. But we are told to look for the signs. In fact, Jesus was critical of those religious leaders. He said, you see Red Scott morning, you know it's dawn, but here I've given you sign after sign and you have not watched. And so there's, a, there's an expectation that in addition to viewing what's happening geopolitically, we have to interpret it spiritually. I will tell you that I've said so many times here recently, you know, when the Bible was being put together, it's not like it's not like God said, you know, the Jesus part. We went all soft. Let's go out with a bang. You know, let's freak everybody out in the last <laughs> book of the Bible. He didn't do that. He gave that to us so we would not be freaked out. Mm. He gave it to us so we'd look and we'd know and we'd know that great change is coming. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. He did these things not to scare us, but, but to prepare us. He right. told us these things so that we would not panic. See to it that you are not troubled, Jesus said the night before his crucifixion. And then in the Olivet Discourse or the Sermon about End Times, Jesus said in Luke 21, lift up your eyes, your redemption draws near when you see these things coming. So rather than panic, which nobody faults anybody for their anxiety these days but knowing what's next prepares us to face what's now 
And if we can know what's next, if we can begin to get a semblance of what's about to happen, then I believe that allows us to land at a spot that says, okay, God said something like this was going to happen. I'm going to look up. I'm going to make sure my relationship with him is solid, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lean heavily into God's word for help. It may just be me, Max, but I, I, I don't know why everything that's good for me I don't like, and everything that is not good for me, I do like. <laughs> you know, chocolate milk, not good for me. Ice cream, not good for me. Um, help me out on prayer and mm. and scripture study, and and it it takes such discipline to do it. And then I've I've been in periods of my life, long periods, where I've just been, you know, just voracious appetite for it mm. and then other times and it seems to go in the times when i need it the most mm. it seems to leave me? you yeah yeah it's in, rather than turn to it you turn to something else yeah no yeah, or i just or, or turn away yeah just, just i just don't I just i get to the place where i'm tired of thinking about yeah it. you know yeah, what i mean yeah um is that just me? i have no 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 right. no no Part of our worldview says not only is there a good God, but our other part of the worldview says there's an evil being, uh, not just uh, not just evil, but an evil being, and that is Satan. And Satan has never told a word of truth ever. And whenever he sees a person like you or any person uh, try to deal with the anxieties of life by turning to faith or turning to God, he's going to step in and so one doubt after another or interrupt one with one interruption after another. We can just expect him to do that because the last thing he wants us to do as people right now is turn to God in faith. He wants mm. us to turn on each other in anger. He never, he, he's all for that. He's all for division. Uh, he he is he's the the source of all uh, wherever there's a, a, a division between two human beings that's the footprints of Satan or the fingerprints of Satan. Uh, that's why when he sees you opening your Bible, he's going to interrupt it or he's going to bring some type of ethereal thought in and say well, this can't be true, or he's going to cause doubt or he's going to cause you to think I'm too bad to deserve. He's got a million and one tools, mm -hmm. but everything is settled on keeping you from drawing close to God because where you are at peace with God, then you can be at peace with others. Mm -hmm. But when we're not at peace with God, then we see what the world sees right now. And that is calamity everywhere. That's why I really appreciated your call to the country to return to the promises of God. You have to. Yeah. What else? You, we either hold on to the problems of life or the promises of God. It comes down to that. Yeah. You know, our life's going to be dominated today by the problems we see or the promises we trust. Right. And we get to choose. So thank you for reminding us to come back to the I covenants. Just, I just gave a speech a couple days ago um, on the covenant. And, and you know, I guess you're coming at a good time and a bad time because I'm right now. I'm just feel like a punching bag, you know. I just feel <laughs> like, um, but uh, I, I said last week 
we, we look at all of the problems, and there's tons of them. I mean, there is every indication that this just doesn't last much longer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But there was every indication in my life that I wasn't going to last mm-hmm. much longer. Mm-hmm. Good word. You know? And yeah. Um, yeah. it just takes a simple choice. Mm-hmm. And then all of the stuff that we've done wrong, all of the things that our country has done wrong, once we turn it over, he is amazing. It's all used for good. There's no waste in his, in his world, you know? And it, it gives me hope that I've seen it in my own life. And so I know it to be true. Because I know God because I saw forgiveness. Mm. And we just have to surrender. Mm. You know, what if our response to this global crisis was really a nation of repentance and prayer? I mean, what if, what if we really got to the point where we said, Lord, we don't have any solution? We see bitterness uh, in Iran. We know that some... Some deranged leaders just one bad mood away from pushing a red button. Mm -hmm. We're living in fear. Our kids don't know their gender. There's a suicide crisis or epidemic taking. What if if there was just this collective desire to get down on our knees and say, Lord, we're crying out to you in desperation? it's what it's going to require. It's going to require. I, I, I don't know. That's not something you can orchestrate Mm-mm. or fake, but I believe that's, that's our next step. That's our only next step. Uh, we're not going to diplomatically talk our way through this, you know, Glenn. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. Uh, you know, you're not, the last time I was here, I talked about my new book, uh, uh, God Never Gives Up on You, Jacob. But, you know, Jacob's brother was Esau. And in the womb, Jacob and Esau were struggling with one another. They were fighting. The womb of Rebekah was like a cage fight. <laughs> and so Jacob, with the story, you know, was born second, but he's promoted to be firstborn. And Esau and Jacob kind of reconcile. But then we learn that there's tension all the way down their bloodline. Mm. Uh, Esau is the progenitor of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites, can I tell about this for just please. a second? Because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's really relevant. No, no, to what we're, uh, the Amalekites appear later in Scripture when the children of Israel are coming out of Egyptian captivity. And the Amalekites, listen to this, are the ones coming around behind the children of Israel, killing the women and the children. Mm. They're not fighting the men. They're fighting the stragglers. This is, ooh, this it's like is just beasts. They're beasts. See, we're seeing the beginning of what we're of this of this bloodthirsty Hamas tribe. We're seeing it all the way back in the days of Moses. Well, Moses reacted to that not by battling the Amalekites, but by going up on a mountain to pray. Mm. And when he prayed, Aaron and Hur had to hold his arms up. You might remember that great story. Because oh, yeah. he prayed so long and so feverishly that he was growing weary. So they held his arms up. And that, that prayer held the Amalekites back. 
But the Amalekites just lingered around. They were this mosquito on the children of Israel. They kept snap, you know, biting them and snapping them. They appear later, Glenn, you'll remember this. Uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, was told by God to destroy Agag. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Mm-hmm. So Saul did destroy the people of Amalek, the Amalekites, but he didn't destroy the king. Agag, Saul kept him alive. So there that spirit of anti-Semitism, of barbarism, mm-hmm. is still alive and well. The next time that Agag's name appears in Scripture is in the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, there was a cruel despot that made Hitler look like a puppy dog. And his name was Haman. And he wanted to destroy the children of Israel. And he was willing to pay King Xerxes $20 million for the privilege of killing. He want, It's the first Holocaust. Well, when you read that story in the book of Esther, Haman is introduced as the son of Hamadathaw. I don't know if I said it correctly, but mm-hmm. Hamadathaw, the Agagite. So his Haman himself was a descendant of Agag, who was an Amalekite. Mm. And every time you see the Amalekites, they are trying to destroy the children of Israel. Mm. I say all that to say, Glenn, anti-Semitism is a spiritual issue. I know. Because God, from the very beginning, said through this covenant people, he was going to bless the world. So Satan says, well, I'm going to destroy the covenant people. Right. And that's what he's been trying to do ever since. absolutely convinced of that. If Satan, if you understand Satan as a real separate entity which some people don't but i do and if you look at him he thinks he can beat god yeah which is arrogance beyond imagination thinks he can beat him. how many people were there how many people were there when a couple hundred and he thinks all i have to do is just kill those people and he ceases to be god because god can't break a promise well i gotta kill him and that's what he's been doing Ever, ever since. since how else do we explain you don't these millennia of anti-semitism yeah nobody else, no other people group on the planet have such illogical hostility yes. toward them i mean we're seeing academic people we're seeing people that we have teaching in our universities or elected to congress who are behaving with this uh inexplicable hatred inexplicable hatred and it's been so deeply rooted in the dna of the human pop of 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 humanity that uh it's only we can only explain it by spiritual explanation i tell you there was a time when uh i I had so much pain i i couldn't move my hands i couldn't do this just with my fingers let alone learn to play the piano, which is not going well. I just want to say, not going well. But it's not because my hands hurt, because I take Relief Factor. ReliefFactor.com. If you want to get out of, uh, out of pain, just try this. I can't, I can't guarantee anything is going to work for you. But millions of people have taken this now. And uh, in the three-week quick start, it sorts people out. About 70% of them go on to order more month after month because it works for them. That means there's 30% that don't. But I like the fact 
that relief factor tells you that up front. Try it for three weeks. Take it as directed. If it's not working, it most likely won't work for you. But 70% of the people, it seems to. ReliefFactor.com. Call 800, the number four relief. 800, the number four relief. ReliefFactor.com. When you see the Lord talk about, you know, he'll come back when the blood of the innocents is just too much. Oh, yeah. That even he has to say, enough. Yeah, enough. enough. Yeah. My gosh. Except for the elect, he said. Yeah. It would continue. My gosh, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> We've not got, there, it, how do you find good news in such bad times? You look for, I think, the, the, the miracle or the, the planting of miracles. Mm-hmm. It takes us mm-hmm. to recognize them and to enact them mm-hmm. um, and be them. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I can think of in all of these are we're going to see spiritual giants mm-hmm. and, and we are going to see leaders like we haven't seen in a very long time and we're going to see i i really think we're going to see the maybe the whole arm of god not just mm-hmm. the finger of god mm-hmm. i mean i think we're going to see moses style miracles because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's what'll happen it, it has to happen because mm-hmm. it's all around the world it is it is i got this text uh from a friend just yesterday um he, he did a cut and paste and sent me this text. Caleb Global reports that literally millions of Iranians are accepting Christ. Thousands report being visited in dreams by a man in white with scars on his hands, and they want to learn about the man in white. Wow. That's an amazing report. Wow. That's the kind of miracles. Yes. You know, in the darkest nights, God always has his brightest lights. Yeah, it has he to. always does. He has to. Do you know much about the Twelvers, the people that are believe in the Twelfth Imam, that really kind of are the clerics of, of I don't. Iran? Their uh, end times philosophy is when, you know, when um, their leadership says, um, oh, Allah, give us a strength to hasten the return of the promised one. Their promised one is the Twelfth Imam. And he climbs out of a well. He's been hiding there for, I don't know, 1,000 years, 1,500 years. And um, he comes out and he gathers the strength of the Middle East and he destroys Israel. Mm. In their book, Jesus comes to back him up mm. and says, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm here because this is the real Messiah and, uh, and will behead anybody who disagrees with it. But as you look at it, it's almost as if it was written to freak people out. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like, let's write this, because I just read the Christian's ending. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's write this exactly mm-hmm. like theirs, except the We're reverse. Flip it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are people that are working for mm-hmm. the end times. Yeah. How does one make sure that you're not duped by that? Mm. Everything, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Boy, it is. For the Christian, everything begins with the resurrection, with the empty tomb. Uh, our Savior 
defeated death. He rose from the dead, thereby authenticating everything he said and everything he would do. And so for that reason, when I was 20 years old, a friend of mine asked me, well, what happened to the body if he wasn't risen from the dead? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't come up with a good answer. And uh, it still took another couple of years before me to solidify my faith. But I think that's the question. So if the answer is Jesus did come out of the grave, then he authenticates everything else he has said about what he's going to do. And that includes a period of severe tribulation. I believe it includes a time in which Christ will call for his people. He'll rapture us. He'll bring us into heaven. And while tribulation is happening on earth, toward the and it's going to be severe. It's going to be very severe. Uh, that will be concluded by what we dis- discussed, just the phrase Gog and Magog. The enemies from the north will come down and they will encircle Israel. And it will appear that Israel has no help, not even from us, from us, because who knows where we'll be at that time. Uh, God will intervene, and that's when the return of Christ will happen. That's when the evil will be destroyed, and that's when Christ will set up his kingdom on earth. That hope for me, Glenn, is, is, is what gives me life me in too. really dark times. Me too. If all I had to do is look around and see this chaos around me, I don't know what I would be drinking tonight. I, I would be too. But I have such faith that, I, well, I know the Lord is a promise keeper. Mm-hmm. And so what he says will be, whether mm-hmm. we're living in that time or not. But I also know that, you know, Bonhoeffer, I'm sure, thought he was a failure. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. He was an amazing, amazing. man, mm-hmm. an amazing man. Mm-hmm. Um, and still gives people like me hope every mm-hmm. single day, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and Glenn, you give a lot of people hope. You really do. I, I can see on your face this is all heavy, but you're helping a lot of people. You know, just the fact that you're talking about this from a heart instead of just a head viewpoint. You're saying this really is heavy. Man, we can relate. Millions of us listening say, mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. We uh, all have it. We're facing crises now on every front. We've not even mentioned North Korea. We've not mentioned Russia and China and their collaboration. We haven't mentioned the people who are living on the edge right now and are trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Yeah. And their kids are going to school and being indoctrinated, and maybe mom and dad have two jobs. Mm-hmm. They can't stop this. They don't know what to do. I mean— there is deep pain and despair, mm-hmm. you know. Every time in the Bible, God's people got to this point, God interrupted it with a miracle. Now, sometimes it seemed like 400 years before that miracle would come, right, for those right. people in Egyptian slavery. But you think about how God interrupted the enslaved uh, Jews in Egypt how God interrupted with Joshua being able to retake the promised land with the collapse of the Jericho walls, Uh, how God interrupted the exile of the Jews with Nehemiah being not only invited to return, but funded in his return to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then, of course, for the Christian, there's the resurrection of Christ just when it seemed the darkest, when God on earth was going to be destroyed, killed. Look who comes out of the grave. So what our hope is, Glenn, what our prayer is, God, do it again. 
Mm-hmm. Do it again. Mm-hmm. But we need one more. We need one more. At some point, that one more will be the end of this age as we know it. And that's okay. Explain what the next age, because people mm-hmm. think, oh, it's the end of the world. No, it's not. No, 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 no. Um, I'm fascinated by end times. I know there are many opinions, okay, Mm -hmm. so I preface it. But it seems to me that the next big event after Christ returns to the earth is going to be that thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Have you talked much about that or thought much about that? I've thought a lot about it. I don't talk about it much, but I've thought a lot about it. I think it's, um, one, to naturally get people to change. I mean, we saw people change for about, maybe if you're lucky, a week after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the change, to affect that kind of change in people, means the suffering prior to has got to be very memorable. Yeah. Um, and then the joy of truth returning through him has got to be mm. just wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, in case somebody has never heard this conversation, yeah. what we're talking about is described in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, six times there's a reference to the millennium, and it's a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and it fulfills many prophecies and keeps many promises. Uh, the reason it's really relevant to our discussion, and especially what you're emphasizing, is because the thousand-year reign of Christ announces that Christ will have his Garden of Eden. What was established and announced in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that God would reign in a paradise with his people. They would reign together. Mm. That was his declaration from the beginning. Now, the assumption that many people make is, well, Adam and Eve blew it, so God changed his plans. <laughs> that verse is not in the Bible. No. Not in the Bible. Like you said, God is a covenant-keeping God. So he has announced this. He has declared that this planet would be a paradise, and we would reign with him. That's what Adam and Eve were told to do. Mm-hmm. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. It was intimate. It was it was warm. It was moral. They weren't hiding their, uh, hiding behind clothing. Even it was just a beautiful setting. So, the the teaching on the millennium says God's going to keep that promise. And Revelation chapter twenty describes the day God does it, and it's after He returns. Revelation chapter nineteen, and then Revelation chapter twenty, and then Revelation chapter twenty one announces the new heaven and the new earth. And so for a thousand years in between this life and our eternal state, the new heaven and new earth, you and I will reign with Christ on earth. And we'll be in glorified bodies, that is to say, bodies that are made perfect, equipped for eternity. And then there'll be people who are still on earth in mortal bodies. And I know this sounds fictional and fantastical, but it's, mm. it's part of the story, and I'm excited about it. But there will be people who become Christ followers, even during that time of tribulation. And they will enter into that time of the thousand-year reign. Uh, so we'll, we will. It's it just like when Christ, after he rose from the dead, was in a glorified body with mortal people. Mm-hmm. So it'll happen yet again. I, I love the fact that, at least the way that I read this, is that you still have a choice, even when he's here. He's Absolutely. not executing people Absolutely. who don't. There still be people who are like, I like this guy, but I don't know, you know, that that will change mm-hmm. over time and mm-hmm. join and 
Mm-hmm. That's exciting. And events like this right now make us think, okay, people are going to change. I hear what you said about 9-11. Uh, you know, when on September, I guess, 13th, our church held a special worship service, mm-hmm. and it was packed. It was packed, Glenn. I remember we couldn't even find hallways for mm-hmm. people who were coming. I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. But within two or three weeks. Gone. 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 So, the, you know, we've, we've touched on depression and sadness and uh, hopelessness. Um, let's talk about your, your book, God Never Gives Up On You. Because I think there's a lot of people that feel like he has or he's mm-hmm. not answered or he's not been around. What do you mean by God never gives up on yeah. you? Well, we interpret the presence of pain as the absence of God. That's a default human reaction to pain. If God was here, I wouldn't be hurting. If God was here, I wouldn't be battling with this particular struggle. So the declaration from God throughout Scripture is, no, I never give up on my people. I never do, and I will be there. And Jacob's story is a picture of a person who I would think God would have long since given up on, but he <laughs> never did. He never did. Uh, you, you look in the, in the Bible at the stories of great Bible characters. There's Abraham, there's Moses, there's Daniel, there's Joseph, there's Mary, there's Paul, there's Peter. Some of the, they, just, they just feel spiritual. Right. But when you look at the story of Jacob, Jacob was a scoundrel. He was always working the system. But he was a part of the promises that you've urged us to remember, Glenn, that promise made to his grandfather that God would bless the world through the children of Israel. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so God has to keep that promise. Right. And God's promise is he's going to use the children of Israel to be the courier of hope to the world, which he has, which he has. But uh, there was a <laughs> – the story of Jacob is a perfect example for God to abandon that promise if he was ever going to do so. Because in the Jacob story, Jacob negotiates with God. Jacob ends up marrying the wrong woman and then has to marry her sister. And then he has two handmaidens and he has 12 children and they're all squabbling and fighting. Then he has to go through a encounter with Esau, his brother, where he thought Esau was going to kill him, but they did at least reconcile. And then on the way home to Bethel, his sons uh, attack Shechem, a village, and it's a bloodbath. It's one of the most ugly chapters in the whole Bible. Every time you turn the page, you think, okay, God's done with Jacob, but he never was. <laughs> he never was. That's why I think there's hope for people like me, you know, yeah. that God never gives up on us. He's, he's, he, it's, it's his grip on us that matters more than our grip on him. Does everybody have something as grand as Jacob to do? Are you assigned this? What? What? I, I tend to think that the example of Martin Luther King, that he was, I think, the fourth or fifth pastor that they had come to and said, hey, we need you to do this. He was just the first guy who said, okay. <laughs> um, he wasn't the best. He was just the one who would, would pray on it and go, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, does, does everybody have a job to do? Uh-huh. Everybody has a unique role. Everybody has a, 
unique to them assignment in life. Uh, some respond and say yes, and it appears God blessed that with a small harvest. Some say yes, and it certainly appears God blesses them with a great harvest, but they receive the harvest that's right for their work. Uh, some mm. people just say no, and they don't want to part. They don't believe in God. They turn away from him, and they uh, really walk out on the opportunity of, a, of an adventure. And life becomes nothing more than that little tiny dash between the dates on the tombstone. You know, born here, died here, and that's it. That's it. Jeez. And when you suck the godness, the goodness out of life, you're left with the bitterness and the sadness that we see in so many. So even someone like Jacob, who, for crying out loud, as far as we know, uh, it, the one, let's see, one of the two times he prayed, he was negotiating with God. It wasn't a very spiritual prayer. Hmm. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. And he was back and forth with God. Um, there's never a time he preached a sermon, never really a time he gave a great message. <laughs> but you know what? God chose to use him. And in the end, he, he, he was still following God. He died worshiping, the scripture says. So um, when you get, uh, you know, this is one of the things that brings me back to how I, uh, how difficult it is to live at this time when there's so much yeah. wrong and evil. Um, and I think that's because um, uh, I know God's not given up on anything. That's right. That's right. You know, he wants all of his kids home. Yeah. All of them. Every one of them. And he's counting on us to yeah. go help them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> well, God is up to the task, even though we're not. You know, Glenn, I've, I love to tell this story. I told it last night at a church where I preached, so it's kind of on my mind, if you don't mind. Mm -mm. When, I, when my daughters were small, uh, kindergarten and diaper age, I have three daughters. Our bedtime routine involved the very last thing after songs, after bath, after songs, after stories, after jokes, after books. You know, the very last thing they would say, flex your muscles, daddy. And Glenn, I used to have muscles. I don't anymore. <laughs> I flex and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. But there was a time I had a you know pretty good set of guns on my biceps. And uh, this one, the kids were small. And I would go from bed. They all had three beds in one room. So they would all stand up, and I would go pop those biceps. And they'd put their hands on my muscles. And they'd say, oh, you're strong, Daddy. It's the last time I ever had women falling mm -hmm. over my yeah. muscles. Um, but, you know, I, I like to think that uh, they slept better having just felt the strength of their father. And I think that's what we need now. I think we need to somehow feel the strength of our Heavenly Father. I know this is terrible. I know we're facing multiple crises on multiple fronts. And I know that God's hand is still on Israel, though we can't quite figure out what's going to happen next. But in times like this, the scripture says, just be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, back with more from Max Lucado in just a second. First, grip six. Everything you touch has history. Everything you buy, everything that you eat, every piece of clothing you wear, all of it came from somewhere. So if you're like me, when it comes to clothing especially, you want to 
take your hard-earned cash and buy something that's made here in America because American manufacturing matters. It's the backbone of our economy. It is the backbone of our communities. And it puts food on the table for our fellow countrymen and women. That's one of the reasons why I love partnering with companies like Grip6. Grip6, you're getting true American experience. When you buy their socks, per se, um, you get um, the American experience because you're, you're buying something that the American ranchers have raised specially bred sheep here in America that produce the modern wool. The American manufacturers wash it, process it, weave it into socks that keep your feet warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And it's an American business. And they have risked doing business here in America. It's a lot easier doing it someplace else. But American labor means something. Go to Grip6.com. That's Grip6.com slash Beck and save Grip6.com slash Beck. Let's talk about the covenant for a minute. Because covenant is different than a promise. Um, a covenant is something that you don't want to take unless you're serious about it, right? What's the difference between a promise and a covenant? Well, a covenant uh, is... That is a good question. I'm trying to find a real yeah, concise, yeah, yeah. brief... A covenant has divine origins in it. A covenant is more than just, I agree to pay for your fence if I knock it over. Right. A covenant is my commitment to you for your best, to, to bring out the best in you. Does that work? I don't know if I've ever tried to articulate yeah. what works for I, you. I, um a promise to me is I'll do this if you do yeah, that. Yeah. A covenant is Quit. I will do this and you must do yeah, that. Yeah. 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 We we cannot this one is not there's no divorce court here on this one. Mm -hmm. You take and make the covenant. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, he makes it through the generations. There's only seven covenants mm -hmm. in the scriptures. There's mm -hmm. like I don't know, 3,700 promises, yeah, yeah. but there's seven covenants. And mm -hmm. it, it always seems to center around the children that you will take this covenant and then you will plant it deep into the children so it continues on. So it continues. It's, yeah, it's a generational promise, if you will, mm -hmm. I think. And, and to abandon these covenants has consequences, right? But to keep these covenants has promises or blessings so there's blessings and burdens. We can choose right. life or we can choose, we can choose death. Some of the covenants, the strongest covenants, I think, that govern the world right now are these unilateral covenants. For example, here we are talking about Israel again, but God made a covenant in Genesis 12 and then Genesis right. 15. He reaffirmed that covenant. He gave Abraham this land and he gave them soil. And then he said, through your seed, the, the world will be blessed. So it's a covenant of soil and a covenant of seed. And then God affirmed that in Genesis 15 with that mysterious moment in which there are, uh, there's a carcass and he passes between the carcass, the torn carcass of the animal, and there's a flaming pot and a, and a burning uh, flame, a flaming pot, 
And it's God walking between that. And, and, and that was the way of saying, may what has happened to this animal happen to me if I break this covenant. And so here's God making a covenant. Now, we can acknowledge the covenant or we can ignore the covenant. Mm-hmm. But the covenant is there. And it's, it's a governing principle in history. So I think really that if you want to understand what's about to happen in the future, you go back and you look at these covenants right. that God has made, yeah. and you can tell that's where we're headed. Um, you say that bearing the past is not always the best thing. Mm-mm. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a, there's a issue that uh, so many people have that they 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 carry the regrets of the past. They carry them with us, and that's what Jacob was doing. He he was he knew that he had messed up with his brother Jacob, and he could not bring himself face to face with his past. Mm-hmm. But you know, Glenn, sometimes to move into the future, we got to deal with our past. Have to. to deal with our past, and that's why grace is so important. The grace of God washes our sins away completely, completely. Explain why that's unique. That's unique to the Christian gospel because every other world religion has says, you do this and God may do that. Right. You build this altar, maybe God will forgive you. You keep these rules, maybe God will forgive you. You uh, tithe or give this money, maybe God will forgive you. The Christian gospel says, by contrast, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. So Max can spend his life saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a drunk redeemed, and I'm not. it's in the past. It's not who I am anymore. And and God saved me not because of what I did, but because of what Christ did for me. And that liberates me from the fear of out-sinning his grace. That liberates me from the fear of thinking I have to do more to get him to love me because it wasn't what I did to get him to love me to begin with. So it's a whole different and he's mindset. Your dad, he loves you. That's right. No matter what you do. It's that worldview question again, Glenn. So if my worldview has a God that that loves me and has paid the price so I can spend forever with him in heaven in the new millennium and then in heaven, then with the armed with that, I can face the challenges that we're going through right now. God never gives up on you as a way to give hope and to show that even you weren't Perfect. Um, go over the the main thing that you think people need to know about that's in the book. Yeah, I think the big idea, Glenn, with the story of Jacob, is here is a man who is a descendant, a grandson of Abraham, whom we call the father in the faith. And yet before he's even a chapter or two into the story, he's already swindled his brother and lied to his father, and he's on the run away from his own family, and he has to enter into modern-day Turkey uh, uh, without a penny, without a servant, even though he comes from a family of affluence and wealth. Uh, Before we're even into a chapter or two, uh, he's done all. He, he's been deceitful. He's lied. He's a lamb. He's on the lamb. He's a fugitive, and yet we still hear Jesus speak about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I would have thought that Jesus may have said Abraham and Isaac and that one guy who never did <laughs> anything. Call him the asterisk, but he didn't. He didn't. And you know that brings such hope to many people who are listening right now. Maybe they're in a prison. Maybe they're in a hospital. Maybe they're in a rehab clinic. Maybe 
maybe they're recovering from making some bad decisions, and they really think God has given up on them, but he never does. And it's the trick of our brain and the trick of Satan to, to tell us the, what the world tells us all the time. No, there's no forgiveness, because there is no God, so there is no forgiveness. And, and, you know, even if you think it might be you, and you think it might be uh, God giving forgiveness out, you're not good enough for it. He mm-hmm. didn't mean for people as bad as you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we create these legalistic systems that say, okay, I'll go light another candle, maybe he'll forgive me. I'll go give more money, maybe he'll forgive me. <laughs> Never knowing if we've lit enough candles or given right. enough money. Whereas grace says, oh, no, no, no. When Jesus died on the cross, he received all the punishment that was due all of humanity on him in my place. Wow. And then he rose from the dead. So he not only paid uh, for my sin, he defeated my death. And when I say yes to him, he says yes to me, and I become a part of that forever family. Now, that doesn't mean life is going to be easy now, but it does mean there's hope at the end of this life. And uh, without hope, that's where people really struggle. So this is the hope that we have to turn to in a season like this. That is the only hope that you have. I mean, I have hope has been dashed on the rocks in men and in institutions and everything over and over again relentlessly. But I believe in God, and I believe in those people that you can just feel God jump off them. Mm. You know, there's mm-hmm. something about, I don't know, I think there's something coming in the future that mm-hmm. we're going to need to know just by looking to each other in their eyes. We are. You know. How does this season that we're going through, there's anything in the last 40 years you've paid attention to, I'm assuming, oh, right? yeah. or maybe longer. Yeah, yeah. How does this right now compare with any other tough season we've been through? It doesn't. It doesn't. We're probably in 1863. Hmm. Um, we might be at 1863, what is it, uh, 1793 uh, with the French Revolution mm-hmm. uh, and World War mm-hmm. II. Mm-hmm except we have bombs now. I mean, we, we're, we're probably at all of those inflection points where um, man had to have God. You weren't getting through it without God. And most people don't, I mean, they see the polls. They don't go to church. They don't read the Bible. Um, and that doesn't make you a good person. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of these things. If you don't know who you are now, how are you going to stay on the right team? You're, you, that nails it right there. Yeah. If you don't know who you are, you know, if you think we're just flotsam, we're just a coincidence Mm-mm. of molecules, then for crying out loud, turn the party off. I've had enough. <laughs> it, it makes sense uh, to yeah. me in some ways if you didn't believe in that. You'd just be like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. There's no point to it. There's no point. There's no point to it. Um, you, you have said, you talk about how a person's truest view of God is how they see him at their lowest point. What's that mean? Yeah. Which is kind of what we're talking about today, isn't it? Yeah. Is God still on the throne when my problems have me surrounded? Is God still mighty when I feel weak? 
anybody can trust God on a beautiful Sunday morning mm-hmm. or Saturday Sabbath when everything is nice and we're out in the meadows looking mm-hmm. at springtime. But when you see one report after another of atrocity uh, and you see how evil and barbaric and bloodthirsty humanity can get when we see yet again what man can do against man, yeah, can you trust in a good God then? Um, I turn often to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember the son of Jacob who was sold into slavery, mm-hmm. but then eventually became prime minister of Egypt. And then when he had that encounter with the brothers who did sell him into mm-hmm. slavery, he did not retaliate because he I said, love that part of the story. Yeah, what, Genesis 50, 20, what, what you intended for evil, God used for good. What you intended for evil, God used for good. So intended evil can result in ultimate good. It did in that case. And God used Joseph to actually save the children of Israel from a famine. And so our prayer is, Lord, do that again. (laughs) We need a Joseph. Uh, We need deliverance. We need a miracle. Um, Do you think it will be a Joseph, a leader, one leader, one, or will it be several? Hmm. Can you answer that question Uh, while I I think on it? No. I'm I'm just wondering if Billy Graham said to me, it's not going to happen that way this time. I said, where's, where's George Washington? Where's Abraham Lincoln? Where's the next you, Billy? He said, it's not going to happen that way this time. I said, what do you mean? He said, he's tired of giving all the credit to people <laughs> like me and you know, other individuals who stand up and say things. He said, everything I've done that was wrong in my life is me. I know. I made that decision. He said, everything that was good, it happened because I would just be obedient and do exactly what he said. He said, this time... The Lord's going to ask for everybody to be obedient mm. and just stand in place with whatever he tells you to do. You might mm. think, this isn't going to work. This is stupid. Mm. You know, why am I doing it? But if you just listen to him, he'll tell you where to stand. And he said, it's like uh, the Lord is throwing a giant surprise party for Satan. <laughs> he said, pretty soon somebody in standing there in the dark because mm. he's making you step out of the light, his guidance light, or your comfortability light, Mm -hmm. and step out Mm -hmm. and trust in him and stand there holding something you may not really believe in, Mm. you know, as part of it. And and he said, you're going to stand there and somebody's, you're going to say, what am I doing here? This is so stupid. Mm. And you'll hear somebody else standing right by you. Mm -hmm. Is there somebody else here? Yeah. And he said, yeah. that's when the lights come on. Right. And he said, it'll be a mosaic that only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could, could have, have done. He said, that's when every knee will bow. Yeah. He said, God wants all the credit this time, and he's going to get it. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's wise. That's wise. So I think that urges us to try to come up with some coping strategies because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think you just mentioned one of them. Rather than despair, just do the next decent thing. Right. You know, if, if, if there is such evil in the world, then right now I have to decide, okay, I'm not going to treat people that way. And perhaps the best way to, uh, 
mount a personal resistance toward this flood of evil is for me to be kind to the person at the grocery store, you know, or to give up a parking spot, mm-hmm. to, to generate a season of, of decency. And some of the listeners who aren't even who are not spiritual, you're saying, "Well, I can do that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Let's, let's all start right there. Let's be the most decent people that we can be to one another." You know, my faith. Um, uh, we are told to be peculiar people, and I think mm-hmm. we got that down. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's not the way they mean it. And I was just talking to a group of people a couple weeks ago. And I said, all Christians need to be way beyond a peculiar people. Mm -hmm. We need to be really so odd that the rest of the world doesn't understand Mm -hmm. because the rest of the world is going to be angry and confused and in chaos. And we need to be so in line with him that we are happy, mm-hmm. we are comforters, mm-hmm. we are helping hands, mm-hmm. we, are, we stand out from the crowd. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a story, Glenn, of some chaplains on a ship, on a battleship in World War II that had been torpedoed and the ship was going to go down. And the chaplains were going to the soldiers saying, you take, you take the life jacket because yes. we can die better than you. Yes. One of the great quotes, we can die better than you. Christians can die better because we know what's next. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make it easy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's, there's no fear. But, but because of that, we are a peculiar people. Yeah, we're not excited about the evil that's going to come, but we do believe that Satan is going to get a big surprise. Um, the Nazarene Fund is the organization I put together to save um, persecuted um, religion, Christians, anybody who's persecuted for their religion, and help get them to safety. And um, we use that mission to help get people out of Afghanistan. Hmm. And I was just with one of the guys in his family that we saved. And he was Muslim, um, but he was one of, one of the guys who was helping our, you know, one of our commanders um, stay alive hmm. and heroic guy. And he sat in my office and I said, so what do you think of America? Cause he lives in Virginia now and he lives right next door or right down the street from the guy who saved him. And, uh, he said, uh, I really find it a wonderful place but I'm having trouble with one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I don't understand why you Christians would save people like me. Mm. Why would you go to all of this trouble to do this? It's pretty remarkable. Mm. Pretty remarkable. Was he asking? For an answer, or are you just speculating, just wondering? No, he wanted to know, and I, my answer to him was, because you're my brother. Yeah, yeah. You're really, literally my brother. Mm. And uh, even if you're a brother who is misbehaving, mm-hmm. well, that's, Dad wants all of them home. That's our worldview. Every person is created to be an image bearer of God. 
You know, Adam and Eve were made in God's image, and that includes Glenn and Max. Now, that image uh, has grown tarnished and tainted many times in many of our lives, but that image is still there. So the way you see uh, the person is that regardless of their faith, they deserve to be rescued. They deserve to be respected. I know. Deserve to be cherished. I know, Max, that with my kids, and I've really struggled with my kids in the last couple of years. I've, we've had suicide attempts and just horrible stuff. Mm. And um, I know when one of my kids does something stupid to the you know to one of the others, or they feel like you know you're being selfish. You know, you're hurting the whole family. You're being selfish. I say to my kids all the time, don't leave a mark. Mm. Don't leave a mark. Because I like my heavenly father. I want all my children. Mm -hmm. And if my children are not, if they leave a mark on each other, it will cause a rift and division and it will get bigger and bigger. And in the end, family's all we have. It's all we have. And, uh, and I know my Heavenly Father. Mm. I know him. Mm. And uh, he won't be happy if I come home and go, Dad, I'm home. He's going to say, did you see how many brothers and sisters you left marks on? Mm. What, did, what did you do? Yeah. What did you do? Mm. Would you pray? Mm-hmm. And we'll I will. end I this will. with prayer. Thank you again, Glenn. No, oh. thank you for just all you do and the tone you set. And you're a good man. You're you you're you're putting it out there for all of us. We struggle with you. Thank yeah. you. Well, gracious God, we come to you in this hour of great, great need. Great need. We feel whiplashed by what we're going through. I feel like we just came out of the pandemic. We're catching our breath, and then one crisis after another comes our way. But we see you coming. We see you walking on the water. We see you making provision when there is no provision. We see your ability to heal, to answer, and to solve. So we cry out to you as your people. We cry out to you. If you don't help us, we don't have help. But when you help us, we have plenty of help. So we ask you, I thank you for my brother Glenn. I thank you for the, even the heaviness on his heart because he represents all of us, Father. Our hearts are very heavy at what we see. We pray that those who would uh, bring evil against innocent people would either be converted or eradicated. Don't mm. let that happen, Father. Don't let more innocent people suffer. Let your righteous rule occur. Let your kingdom come. And let there be once and for all peace on earth. We turn to you, our Savior Jesus, for strength. We pray in the name of all that is good. Amen. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 